Indeed, how crucial it is that we are surrounded by the Lord. We need the Lord every day, but especially as we come together in an assembly to worship God, we want the Lord to be with us. We want to do those things that please and raise His name high in glory. We want to welcome each one here this morning. We have several families missing, I presume traveling for the holidays, things like that, but we have some that are not normally with us. We're so glad to have you, and we welcome you to come and be with us at any time. Your presence here is an encouragement to us. We're happy to stand before you this morning. After being gone for a period, it's always good to get back home and see the faces of the people that we dearly love. This morning, we want to, for a few minutes, give a short report on India. Then we'll get into a lesson from the Scriptures more directly. I want to mention for those that are connected through the Internet over Zoom or YouTube that the PowerPoint for this India update will not be present and available. We're trying to avoid placing our people in India under harm's way. So for the first part, you won't have access to the PowerPoint, but that will be available later as we turn more to our our scriptural presentation. We want to express our deep gratitude to everyone that prayed for our trip to India and for its success. We appreciate your faithfulness in praying, not only for those that were gone, but for the families that we left behind. I firmly believe that your prayers invoked God's providence. We were able to get in and out of India and have a profitable trip. We entered India the last day before visitor entry was shut down because of the Omicron variant of COVID. We had a safe, productive trip, and then we exited India on the last day that that government was allowing regularly scheduled commercial flights to leave out of India. So certainly God blessed us with getting in, being able to do the things that we set out to do, and then being able to get out of that country. You know, in Acts 14, verse 27, we find these words, Now when they had come together and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them, and He had opened the doors of faith to the Gentiles. The context of this is Paul and Barnabas. They were sent out from Antioch to go and on a missionary journey, and so they came back. When they came back, they gathered the church together, I'm assuming in a similar format to what we're gathered today. And it says they gave them a report about how God had blessed their work of evangelism. So we have precedence in Scripture to make evangelistic trips and then to report to the congregation regarding those trips. The congregation as a whole supports this work through the the treasury of the church, and then many families and individuals that attend church here help with this work also individually. And so everything that goes on with this work, the success that is found, is attributed back to you because you have a part and a role in this work. In previous reports, we've noted the different challenges that faced our evangelists in India over the last 21 months or so since the pandemic. 
In addition to that problem, we lost a long time later in India in December of 2020. And so we wanted to, as a priority, encourage our evangelists that have faced a lot of difficulties. We wanted to be able to encourage all of the disciples in Christ in the areas of our work in India. And we wanted to be able to comfort the family that had lost their loved one. We were able to accomplish these goals. In addition, I'm happy to report that we found the work to be stable, to be in good hands. People have stepped into new roles and they're fulfilling those roles. And this work is moving forward with good momentum after the time of, of discouragement that they have gone through. We praise God for this and we're so thankful that through our prayers and through God's help, they've been able to, to continue to move forward with the gospel. In our time of touring, we went to 13 different rural locations and met with congregations or parts of congregations. We went to one city location at the end of our time of touring. We went to places where they had makeshift buildings like this, where they'd been meeting. We went to locations like this, where they had acquired land and partially built uh, church buildings and had a meeting in that partially built building. We were able to meet with congregations that had recently completed buildings and ha had that blessing. And you know, for many years we've been helping them as we could with church buildings. And we certainly see what a great blessing it is to a congregation rather than meeting in a home or in a courtyard for them to be able to meet in a church building. And it, it was a blessing for us to be in these locations. These locations were specifically picked because they were uh, out of circulation of maybe any kind of trouble or issue that we might run into. And that was their request when they asked us to come to India is to bring a small group and that we would be moving in areas where there was not a lot of attention. And so that was the process and all of this went very well. As I said, there are 14 total locations. There were 15 or 51 baptisms along the way. The gentleman to your right is a former denominational priest who is now a member of the Lord's body, one of the ones that was baptized near his rural village in our presence. We passed out Bibles. One of our efforts in India, long-term effort, is to, is to print and hand out Telugu Bibles. We've been doing that for many years. We were involved in handing each one of these new converts a Bible so that they might study and continue to grow in the Lord. Uh, one of the highlights of our time in India was this evangelist meeting. There were about 150 men. This meeting was held in rural Andhra Pradesh in a secluded setting. Uh, we had these tents set up. We had compound walls around us. So we had privacy for this meeting. It was a two day long meeting eight different subjects based on 2 Timothy, the third chapter, verses 16 through 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter, verse 5. 
these, this section of Scripture was broken down, and Hugh and I participated by giving a talk, and then there were six of the Indian evangelists that talked. So we had this formal time together to study God's Word, but we also had a lot of one-on-one time between the, the speeches in the morning and in the evening to visit with our evangelist. And again, very happy to be able to do this, and the feedback was very positive from all of the participants of this evangelist meeting. We were also able to check in on the children, some of them that are being supported through the church, and we found them to be doing very well also. Always a blessing to visit with with these destitute children that are being cared for through the church. Several of you here in the congregation participate in that effort, and we want you to know that what you're doing is really making a difference. The last Sunday was spent in our city worship assembly with our largest congregation in India. Before the assembly, we had three that was baptized here. And you see a picture of them in the the center left part of the screen. And you'll see some faces of some people here that you've met before, many of you. And they're doing well. The, The group's in good health. Our evangelists are in good health. They've struggled with a lot of COVID and other things along the way. But God has blessed us with very little loss of life and has blessed our congregations, our workers in our congregations, and our families very much through uh, the time of the, of the pandemic. It's a customary thing in India to have a memorial service, a second memorial service one year after a loved one has passed away. That fell on December the 12th, and so we were able to participate in this service a lot of good memories about our leader that we lost, and again, a, an opportunity to encourage the family of those that's left behind and are stepping forward to, to take a lead and a role in, in our evangelistic efforts in India. There's ongoing circumstance and, and environment in India that provides a great opportunity for the gospel to be spread. We talk about the 1.3 billion people that live in India. We talk about a 12 to 1 population density ratio compared to what we're used to here. They're 12 times more densely populated. In addition to that, their religious environment leaves them very little hope, and especially the caste system that holds down a lot of the population of India. They're hungry to hear the Word of God, to hear about one God Creator and one Savior, and that we're all equivalent before our God and our Savior. These are people that are hungering to hear the Word of God. So we have an opportunity as far as scale and as far as scope beyond anything else that we know about right now because of so many people who are hungry to hear the the Word of God. David said, O God, you are my God, early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. 
If anything, these sets of difficult circumstances has caused people in India to be even more focused on learning the truth. Being thirsty in a place that is dry as far as hearing God's Word and God's truth. As Hugh and I and Diana met in these various situations, we could see people with their Bibles open, reading along, studying, people paying close attention to the Word being presented. You could see it in their eyes that they were hungry for God's Word. And that circumstance gives us a great opportunity to continue to deliver what they're thirsty to have. And that brings us to our capable and diligent gospel workers. As we met with these men, we were able to determine that they have a talent in delivering God's Word. They understand the language of this area. They understand the culture. And when you put a capable set of preachers in an environment where people want to hear God's Word, then the result is great. It's a lot of conversions into Christ. Romans 10, 15, And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings, of good things. So there is in no way a diminished opportunity. If anything, it's an enhanced opportunity to continue to move forward with our evangelistic effort in this country of India. I want to mention our budget. You see the top of the screen, our monthly budget. You'll notice that 90% of this is evangelist support, 10% benevolence for destitute church members. And then about a hundred, uh, or although a hundred percent of what comes into our regular budget is sent to India, we have about 50 congregations in our brotherhood and about 90 individuals that give on a regular basis, and it's included to make this budget possible. We have around over 800 congregations that we're working with in India, with over a hundred thousand membership over 300 evangelists that we deal with that are on partial to full support. And we have, the average has been in the past $65 per month for the evangelist support. One important issue that I want to address is that we are suffering a lot of inflation in India right now. Over the past couple of years, and it is really even sped up here in the last few months. And we can recognize that because of our environment here in the United States. And what we're asking our donors to do is to consider a 10% increase in the donations that you're giving for various things so that we will be able to address this budget increase in India to continue this work forward. We know that there's people that sacrifice to give to this work, and some are budget-challenged. Uh, and if you're not able to give, there's no problem with that. If you're able, we're encouraging people to participate in a 10% larger or a greater degree so that we can address this need. If you want to be involved in helping with this work and haven't in the past, this would be an excellent time to Contribute in whatever way that you would like to. We have our general budget that I've just described. 
we have a separate uh, destitute child effort that we're, we're doing in India. We have uh, Bibles that run $6 a piece. If you want to help just on a one-time basis on something like that, there's transportation needs, there's water well needs. As we get additional funds, we address these things that we have resources to put in place. That's the way that, that our work functions in India. I know this is a review for many of you that participate, but there's always some that haven't been exposed to this work, and we try to give the, the basic way that it works. We have a continual outpouring from our brethren in India. They send their greetings to every one of you here, and they always give their thanks for the efforts that are made on their behalf. Every one of us can pray for these works. Even though we're not directly involved, we haven't seen them, we can pray for those. We can help support those works. We can do things that are beneficial, and it's making an impact and a great difference in this place that is a dry land as far as a knowledge of God. Here are the men that can give you eyewitness reports of this work as it functions in India. The contact address, and we're always willing to, to visit with anyone in more detail that would like more information about our work. It gives us great joy to give you a first account of this work that's being done to spread the gospel. And again, we just say thanks to one and all. I hope that we will never forget our mission. India is a long way away. It's exactly halfway around the world, 11 and a half hours ahead in time. It's a faraway place in culture. It's a faraway place in language. But there are souls there that are just as important as souls are anywhere in the world. And I hope that we'll take our extra resources and put them to, to work in places like India. We have a work in Nigeria. Brother Sean Zeebach and Brother Ty Fleming recently returned from a trip to Nigeria, seeking to do the same thing in that field of evangelism. We have a little bitty spot, a little red dot over here, just under the United States, the country of Belize. There's opportunity there. So we have small countries, we have middle-sized countries, we have large countries, we have sparsely populated places like Belize. We have densely populated places like India. Souls all over the world are important to God and to Christ. And we need to take opportunities to, to help, to pray, and, and to keep these works moving forward. We want to move now and talk about a question that I've posed on the screen. And the question is, can infallible truth be found today? I think this is a very important question, and we want to turn to the Scriptures to answer this question. I call your attention first to John chapter 18, verses 37 through 38. We read a discussion about truth here between Pilate and Christ during the trial of Christ. 
The record says, Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end I was born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Every one that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? So Pilate asked this question that still rings out today. Men for, from the very start of time has asked the question about what is truth. And I would ask you that question this morning. How would you define the term truth? There are some synonyms we could use. Facts. Realistic. Facts. The truth is something that is so important. Christ says in this context that He came to bring this truth into the world. Notice He said, For this cause have I come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. We just read earlier that Christ's mission was to seek and save the lost. As we go through our study this morning, we're going to determine that it's one and the same. Bearing witness to the truth and bringing the infallible truth of God is the thing that will bring about our salvation. If we do not have that infallible truth, if we're not able to understand it, if we cannot follow it and be unified in it, then we're not going to be able to save ourselves and to save others that we want to be of influence in, in the world. Notice the singular nature the truth. Turning to John chapter 14 and verse number 6, Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The essence of Christ Jesus, His deity, His mission in this world, God's redemptive plan to this world, very much depended on this infallible truth. And Christ said, I came to be a, a witness to it. He said, I am the truth. Infallible truth exists. This fact does not change because men attack it today in our world. Truth is resisted, it's distorted, it's twisted, it's diluted. But Christ said, I came as a witness to the truth. I am the truth. He didn't say some truth. He didn't say relative truth. He didn't even say a truth. He said, I came as the truth. So that tells us that there is absolute infallible truth. But the question that we ask in the beginning is, can we find it? Can we understand it? Is it available to us today? There's only one source untouched by man from which this truth radiates. As we study deity, we find the truth is an essential part of God. God is made up of three entities, three distinct personalities, and yet they're perfectly one the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I want you to think about this Trinity or this Godhead and how closely united they are in purpose, 
and working completely together to accomplish their goals and their vision. We'll be coming back to the unity that is found in the Godhead in a few minutes. So think about the fact that this is the only source wherein there is infallible truth. Jehovah God is spoken of as a God of truth without injustice. This is one verse of many, many verses that we could read in Scripture that describes our Father in Heaven as being all truth and no iniquity. We just read about the Son. Christ said, I am the truth. What about the Holy Spirit? Let's note from John chapter 15, verse number 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, He will testify of Me. Every part of this Godhead or Trinity represents truth. It's the essence of who God is. The Bible tells us that God cannot lie. And so we know where the source is. The issue is how do we receive this infallible truth today? We know that part of it involves Christ. We just read that He came to be a witness of the truth. God formulated the redemptive plan before the world was created. This plan brought God to earth. If you'll notice, heaven was vacated of the Son of God. He came and He took on flesh. And He was God, 100% God, 100% human. And He brought this truth to this world. Christ was called Emmanuel, Matthew chapter 1, which means God with us. In John 1, verse number 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. When you're full of truth, when you have all truth, when it's all truth and no iniquity, how much more truth is there? The definition of infallible is without error. Incapable of making mistakes. That's what we see as we look to this source from heaven and we think about infallible facts. The realistic things in this life that we know certain things are right, certain things are wrong. Certain things are good, certain things are evil. These things have been established by the source of infallible truth in heaven. And that source came through Jesus Christ and He dwelt among those people in the first century and He delivered that truth verbally, especially to His apostles. He spent three years with the apostles and He placed this truth before them training them for their future work. Christ and His truth were rejected. In fact, if we go back to that context where Pilate asked that question, what is truth, and read a little further down, we find that the Jews rejected Him. They would not accept His truth. They would not accept Him as the Son of God. They would not accept Him as their King. And so they took Him in their own violent hands through those Roman 
rulers at the time and Roman soldiers, and they crucified him. He'd been with the apostles, and even they forsook him. He suffered that crucifixion alone. He was rejected. But praise God, the third day he was resurrected. And he left infallible proofs that we'll notice in a moment with many witnesses. And then he ascended back into heaven where he is now seated at the right hand of God. But even though he left in person, the body of truth that he delivered remained with the apostles. The Holy Spirit was sent to the apostles following the ascension of Christ into heaven to reinforce this ultimate truth. If we stop and think about it, even three years of exposure to Christ would not allow a human being to understand all of the truth that was to be given. In in fact, Christ told them at one point, you're not ready for this truth. But He said, I'm going to die, be buried, be resurrected. I'm going back to my Father to reign over my kingdom. And I'm going to send my Helper. And He's going to come back and He's going to bring you the truth that you need. We read from John 16, verse 13, Howbeit when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. For He shall not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak, and He will show you things to come. So the apostles received what they needed, direct inspiration from God. They taught this truth verbally in the first century. And then they began to write this truth down. And we have that written down in our New Testament. These writers who wrote the New Testament were inspired by God, having all truth, being directed by God as to what to write down. And they began to write that down in the New Testament. John 17, 17, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Look at these equivalents. The truth that we've been talking about, infallible, absolute truth from God of heaven, that is found in His Word. Word, truth, truth, Word. The Old Testament is is a wonderful work that's also inspired, and we need to study it and learn about God's characteristics The New Testament says that the Old Testament is a tutor to bring us unto Christ. Very, very important and very helpful, but it did not deliver the infallible final revelation of God. What delivered that was the New Testament. This is where the truth is revealed that guides us to know exactly what God wants from us. It brings us that complete, infallible truth this familiar passage 2 Timothy 3 16 and 17 all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine for reproof for correction for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete thoroughly equipped for every good work notice these terms inspiration complete Thoroughly equipped, 
There's no doubt that we have what we need in God's Word today. It came from the source, our God in heaven. It came through our Savior, Jesus Christ. It followed the path that God put in place through to the apostles. The Holy Spirit came and supplemented everything that they needed. They taught it, and then they wrote it down for us today. Notice this passage, John 8, 31 and 32. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in Him, If ye abide in My word, ye are My disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So the first thing about this passage, again, those, those terms word and truth are used interchangeably. He uses word in verse 31, and He uses the truth in verse 32. So we know these to be equivalent. Then looking back to verse 31 again, we see what qualifies for us to be a disciple. Every one of us wants to be a learner or a disciple of Christ. And what did Christ say? If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Without this infallible truth of God's word, we can't learn what we need to know to truly be dedicated and to be a disciple of Christ. But if we're willing to go to this infallible source with an open mind and study this word, God has provided a way for us to become a disciple of Christ to deny self, to take up His cross and follow Him. And what is the result of accessing truth and becoming a disciple of Christ? Look again at verse 32. The Bible says that the truth shall make you free. What kind of freedom is he talking about? You know, we cherish our independence here in the United States. We're free to do whatever we want to do. Is that what he's talking about? Political freedom? Or freedom as citizens in our country? That's not at all the freedom he's referring to. He's referring to the freedom from sin. Every one of us are in bondage to sin without the blood of Christ. Every one of us are in bondage to sin without access to the infallible truth of God. When we access that truth, we love it, we accept it, we submit to it, then we become a child of God and Christ's blood covers us. And we're free of that guilt that would take us to an eternal lake of fire. The greatest freedom, the greatest gift that's ever been given to mankind, and it's connected with this truth that we're speaking about this morning. I want to turn now to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6, because I believe that this passage gives us the terms that identify this diagram that we're using this morning. I think it shows us exactly what we said is the, is the truth. So let's break this down. It says, By which when you read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to the Spirit and His holy apostles and prophets, 
that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of His promise in Christ through the gospel. So again, look at this. Mystery means plan. And we see here that we are able to find the plan of Christ, which is the redemptive plan. And how do we find that? It was not made known in earlier ages, as it has now been revealed. How? By the Spirit to His holy apostles and prophets. So we see this conduit that we have shown in the diagrams exactly what the Bible says. And we know that infallible truth resides in the New Testament. We come to the disciples, and we will note that they're slightly less yellow, which is the essence of truth on this diagram, because when we come to disciples, we are not infallible. No human being is infallible. Jesus Christ, 100% God and 100% human, was infallible, but every other human being is fallible. We are not without error. We're not able even to go to God's Word and know it to the extent that we can have all truth and practice all truth. But the fact remains that God designed it this way, placing us as beings of free will to take His Word, to meditate and focus and study it, and to love that truth to the point that we seek out that infallible truth and we follow it. When we do, then God is pleased. And we grow in our walk with God, and we walk in the light. And our reward after a while is that home in heaven. But you know, we have somebody out there that's fighting us on that, and that's Satan. We're going to notice in a few minutes that Satan has no truth and is every bit iniquity. God is all truth and no iniquity. And we're sitting in the middle, aren't we? And God wants us to choose Him. How do we access this truth? Look again. Paul was talking to these Ephesian Christians, and he said, "...whereby when ye read." We don't have direct access to the Holy Spirit. He's not going to come. He's not going to enter our mind and force us to believe a certain thing. He's not going to deliver perfect knowledge into our brain. We have to read. We have to meditate. That was the admonition that Paul gave to Timothy. Read, meditate, give yourself wholly to it. That's our access to the knowledge. The Spirit will then come alongside us and assist us. If our love for that truth is as it should be, if our attitude is to submit to God, the Spirit is there to accentuate what we need to be obedient to God, to walk in the light. And we have that promise. In John 17, verses 20 to 23, we remember the prayer that Christ uttered on behalf of His disciples, those who would learn about Him later, those who would be called to be a part of His body. And He prayed that we would have unity. Let's read these verses together. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in Me through their Word. Through her, whose Word? Through the Apostles' Word. 
where we have that infallible truth. Christ said we'll learn of Him through this Word. He didn't say, I'm going to spend my, send my Spirit back to all my disciples of all time and, and make sure that they have that imparted in their brain. Those promises of all truth were given to the apostles. This is the prayer for us today. And He's praying that we will believe through the Word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. Continuing in verses 22 and 23, And the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be one, are made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Our ability to carry a testimony to those outside in the world depends on our unity. What does our unity depend on? We have to have one authority. We have to understand what is right and what is wrong. We have to understand that there's areas of judgment and we take God's principles and we apply those. And in areas of judgment, we don't cause division. In areas where God has dictated this infallible truth, we follow it, we submit to it. Do you hear people say today, well, we just understand the Bible differently. We just understand differently. Can you see that that's impossible? We either understand or we misunderstand. If you and I disagree on what the Bible is teaching, either we're both wrong or one of us is wrong. This idea that we can have religious truth leading people in all different directions coming from God is not a concept that we find in the Bible. Christ said there's two roads. A narrow road and a broad road. And we're in one of these two roads, every one of us. In one of these two paths. We need to seek that narrow path and we need to have unity in that path so that we can take a testimony to the world that is around us. How critical it is that we believe that there's infallible truth but not only that we believe that there is, but that we believe that we can access it. That we have the ability to read it and to understand it and to apply it. All through the love of God. Speak the truth in love. That's our mandate as disciples of Christ today. What is this description of the devil? You are of your father the devil and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning. Does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. God cannot lie. The devil is a complete lie. He will use bits and pieces of what seems like truth, just like he did with Eve. He changed one word like He did with Christ as Christ was tempted in the wilderness. Satan tried to twist the truth, but it was all 
because he wanted them to believe a lie. Christ responded at each of those three temptations by quoting God's Word. This is the infallible point to which we correct evil. This is how we make our determination who we're going to follow. Are we going to honor God and follow Him as a person of free will? Are we going to make the other choice? John 8, verse, or back to Deuteronomy 32, verse 4, God is described as exactly opposite from the devil. We can't serve both. And brothers and sisters, we often try to do that. We try to take God's truth, and that's why it becomes something other than absolute. We want to adjust it so it will fit us. And we want to follow a little bit about what we want to do along with what is given in God's absolute truth. And that doesn't work. Christ stated it very, very clearly. You cannot serve God and mammon. Here's that question. Does God miraculously place truth in your mind? As we search God's Word, we simply find the answer to that is no. As I mentioned, it begins with reading. It begins with taking in the knowledge that we have in the, in the source of infallible truth. The Holy Spirit works with us. We have His gift. He's a seal that shows us when we're walking right with God. We have all of those, but it's not aside from the Word of God. We have to embrace the things that are given in God's Word. The final verse this morning, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. We need to trust in our source of infallible truth. We don't need to listen to religious concepts that say there's religious leaders on this earth that are infallible. The Bible tells us that any later revelation from man that contradicts this infallible truth, we're to reject it. Galatians 1, 8 and 9. Mohammed wrote in the 600 A.D., and he wrote a different gospel than what we have here before us. Can we accept that because it's a later revelation? Joseph Smith wrote the Book of Mormon in the 1800s. He said that he got an update on the Bible. Can we, re can we accept that? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. If we've got faith in something, no matter what it is, and especially in religious areas, if we have faith in something other than the Word of God, then it's a false faith. It's a false hope for those that are seeking to follow something that came outside of God's Word. Let's beware, let's be warned, and let's think about these final statements this morning. The Scripture is infallible. We are not, we do not set the truth, a fact that we need to accept. We are to seek the truth, we're to love it, and we're to submit in unity unto that truth.
then and only then can we carry our loving God's message to a lost world. We have our work to do. We have our reading and meditation and study to do. We have attitude adjustments in front of us. When we see the Word contradicts what we are doing or thinking or practicing, we need to change. We need to repent. We need to follow God's Word. Then we will be a true vessel that can take God's Word and affect others. Paul admonished Timothy to take heed unto self and unto doctrine, and in doing so, that he could save himself and, to those that, and save those that hurt him. Again, all dependent on us not trying to write the truth, but submitting to the truth and following that and working together to be a voice of solidarity taking Christ forward in our world. This morning, you may have never named the name of Christ and obeyed the gospel. This truth teaches that we need to repent, that we need to confess, and that we need to be baptized. That's our conduit to move into the body of Christ. And it's outlined very clearly in God's Word. If you understand that, and you haven't done it, we would plead for you to come forward this morning. Submit by confessing that Christ is the Son of God and then submitting to baptism. If you're here this morning and you desire the prayers of the church for any reason, if we can help you in any way, we're going to stand together to sing a song, and during that song, if you would, please come forward and be seated on the front.